this morning continuing working through our uh, series in the book of Acts. If you wouldn't mind turning with me, we're in chapter 22 of Acts here this morning. And while you're uh, turning there, I've noticed a, a trend of how hardship works in our lives. Anybody notice this trend? The trend is this, is that you seem to be going along and life is just kind of going all right, going all right, and then smack, like just out of nowhere, some kind of surprise thing that you did not see coming. And it seems to come in different various sizes, small, medium, large. And some of you are blessed enough to get the addition of the extra large version of hardship. Anybody uh, attest to that here in your life? But either way, the thing that I've noticed with hardship is what hardship does is it seems to reveal a little bit about us based on how we respond to hardship. Kind of shows a, a bit of where the condition of our heart is at based on when we're squeezed, what actually comes out. I know that's kind of a gross uh, uh, picture there, but you get the, get the idea of sometimes, and maybe you've noticed this, sometimes you're squeezed with some form of a hardship and you're like, ah, I didn't really like what came out. Anybody attest to that before at some point in your life? Not real thrilled with your response to hardship? I'll share an example of that in my life about a year ago in the fall, and this is, falls on the probably the small to medium level of hardship. I was in the, my son's uh, parking lot at his school and uh, backed up the car. Some of you might know I really uh, like cars, car fan. Backed up my car and heard that sound that we all dread, the crunching noise of going over a misplaced curb. Anybody uh, ever uh, have that experience? And what do you try to do? Then you put it in drive and you start pulling away to the sound of and the sound of the curb taking your bumper off the back of your vehicle. And uh, really, I was thinking through the different potential responses, misresponses, defensiveness, I, I for sure went there. Who put that curb there in that place that's so easy to back into? Everybody have that response? Or lashing out. My poor steering wheel did not need to be hit that hard. That was really un, uh, inappropriate. Cries for justice. Maybe that's your response to uh, difficulty or just pure panic. What am I going to do with this situation? How am I going to pay for that? How are we going to deal? That's going to be such a headache. You see, our response says a little bit about the condition of where our heart is at based on how we respond to the things that come across our path, the hardships. What I've come to realize is this, is the way that I respond is often in direct correlation to where my relationship with Jesus Christ is at. He recognized this. He talked about it in John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. When I mention this, this idea is the that, that when our heart is connected and intertwined with his, when the hardship comes, he flows out of us. He flows out of us as opposed to when I'm operating in the flesh, then what comes out? Scott comes out. And nobody likes Scott coming out after hardship. That's not a, a good thing. My wife will attest to that. And so there's an amen, uh, one in the audience. But here's the, the idea is Paul 
has been walking with the Lord so long, so closely, that when he is actually squeezed, guess what comes out? The Holy Spirit. There's almost no evidence of the old Saul at all because that connection is there and there's there's an avenue or a, a flow of the Spirit coming in his response to these difficult situations. You might remember last week what those difficult situations were. He's been literally taken uh, amongst this Jewish mob that's angry, misdirected anger towards him and literally is just getting attempted uh, to beat him, literally beat the life out of him. You remember the, the accusations against him and as he's beaten, finally the Roman soldiers come to break up the fight, rescuing and saving Paul's life. Pretty intense a moment you remember there, and you remember the crowd as they're cheering as he's being taken away, away with him as they shake their fists in disgust with him. Let's practice that just for a moment as a role play to kind of get into the story. All right, so you guys are going to shake your fist and chant away with him. I'm going to be Paul. You're the crowd. Ready? One, two, three. Wow, that came pretty naturally for a lot of you. It's a little uh, concerning. It's not, I, I don't hate animals. Uh, and so just being clear on that. But, uh, but here's the, the idea. He's there. And when he squeezed, the question mark is, how will he respond? He gets permission to address the crowd, to talk to the crowd. How are they going to, how's he going to respond? Is he going to rebuke them for their skipping the legal process and going straight to the, to the consequences? Is he going to confront them? Is he going to maybe defend himself and kind of his own uh, uh, pride? But here we see in the text, we're going to see here this morning, that instead he responds by telling the story of God's grace in his life. How awesome is that? This elderly man standing up there, literally beaten and bruised, probably black eyes, bloody lip, and he stands up. He's like, let me tell you about God's faithfulness, how good he's been to me over the years, his pursuit of me, how he drug me from the old me and drug me to have a new life in Christ. Wouldn't you love if when you were squeezed, that's what actually came out, a testimony of God's grace in your life. Let me pray before we explore this section. God, we thank you this morning for the chance to study your word and even this example of someone getting squeezed in the appropriate response coming out. God, I ask that you'd speak to us through this text, God, even as Adrian had prayed, that you'd be moving and active in this room and that you'd speak to each one of us directly. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So chapter 22, verse 1, you're going to see he starts literally trying to find ways to relate. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. Start, just stop there just briefly, just looking at the, uh, the effort that Paul's making to relate with this audience on a personal level. You see the, the term that he uses, he refers to them as brothers and fathers. In other words, as family. I'm one of you. He speaks in their own language and dialect, trying to make a bridge rather than expand the chasm. He's trying not for the sake of defending his life, but literally because he's been waiting for 
ever to have this opportunity to finally talk with his former friends and neighbors, the people that he had grown up with. Maybe you've had that platform at some point in your life to go back and engage with people. I remember probably seven or eight years ago getting to go to a high school reunion with Adrian from my high school, just chatting with people, and they're like, you're, you're a pastor? You're a what? Like, like getting to share what God's done in, in our life and the, the, the testimony of his goodness and faithfulness. Well, here Paul is having that opportunity. Instead of seeing them as the opposition, he's seeing them in the appropriate eyes. Man, these, these are people I'm trying to reach. These are people that I love and care about. Rather than him, rather than him versus them, He's for them rather than against them. Oh, that we as present-day Christians could drop the rocks of our culture war trying to defend our Christian rights and prioritize building bridges with people that desperately need Jesus. What if we didn't feel the need to always defend ourselves and our rights instead of giving that same amount of energy into building bridges or finding ways to relate. He sets the example for us clearly here. He continues in this interaction. You see there in verse 3, explaining his story. He says, I'm a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering it to prison, both men and women, as the high priests of the whole council of elders can bear witness, uh, bear me witness. From then I, them I received letters to the brothers and journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. So he starts his story. Let's think about this. You're going to see kind of the, a perfect example of a testimony. A testimony really has three parts, kind of what did life look like before Christ? What does the encounter with Christ look like? And then what does life, the new life in Christ look like on the other side of that encounter? Well, here he starts by sharing a little bit of, about his history, about his past. And really, isn't that though probably the way that we relate with people the best? When you can share with them like, man, I went through this. I used to be you. I used to be exactly where you're at. When I was in uh, Chicago, there was a young man that came and was a part of our young adults uh, ministry. His name was Anthony Acevedo. And he had an amazing testimony that I think captures kind of these three different parts. What was life like before Christ, when he encountered Christ, and then life after Christ. I wanted to show, they captured his testimony just on video. It's about a four or five minute video. I wanted you guys to check this out and look for those three different elements as you hear Anthony's story. The Latin Kings is probably one of the biggest Latin criminal organizations. They're known for their brutality, their servants of sin to the core, even though they portray another image. The gang life just basically consists of using drugs, selling drugs, using guns. It's a life of sin, of corruption, of crime. It's the fall of many, many good individuals. My name is Anthony Acevedo. I go to Elgin Harvest Bible Chapel. When I was 13 and a half, I started going to school out here in Aurora, North Aurora. It was a behavior disorder school, and uh, I met a Latin kingdom from Carpentersville, and he basically was like, hey, man, you know, uh, 
you should come with us. We see what type of guy you are. We like that, you know. A day came, I got my initiations in, and then from that day forward, I was uh, I was an affiliated member. And when I was hanging around them, I just loved it. I loved it. I'm like, yeah, this is me. I, 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 I couldn't be nothing else but this if I was going to be in the gang. Now I understand that it was by the grace of God that saved him because he was like two feet in front of me when I shot him. I shot at him five times. I only hit him twice. I thought I got away with murder. Matter of fact, not that uh, half an hour later I get arrested. One of my first cellies that I had, he was a, he was a believer. He was leaving. He was being released back to population. He was like, "Hey, I want you to have my Bible," and I'm like, "Ryan, well, it's your Bible your mother gave you, and it's a very nice Bible. I can't. What am I gonna do with that? I'm not even gonna read it, you know." He's like, "Take it out." So I'm just like, "Hey, I got this Bible, you know. I got other books, but uh, I'm gonna read this just because I know a lot of people talk about this Bible. I'm like, I want to know about this Bible. So I'm like, I got all the time in my hands. I'm gonna learn this. I'm like, I'm gonna read this from cover to cover. So when people want to talk about the Bible, I could just criticize them or I could just shut them down or whatever it was. That's how I looked at it. So um, I started in the book of uh, Genesis. It just went all the way through until, um, until the book of Revelations. And uh, it took me about a year to do that. I started liking it a lot. I'm like, wow, the Bible's good, you know. Got to the Gospels, you know. I'm like, wow, this Jesus. I heard, of course, I heard of Jesus, you know. I'm just starting to recognize things. I'm starting to see things a little different. Uh, of course, I prayed, you know at night before I went to sleep. And uh, my normal prayer, you know, just going through the motions, hey God, you know, I just started praying. And in the midst of that prayer, what I heard within my prayer, you know, it wasn't audible, it was within, it's over with. Today's the day, today is the day that you're gonna serve me. Today is the day that you're no longer gonna be a Latin king. That's over with. You're gonna serve my kingdom. And I'll, you know, in my prayer, I was just like, what? You know, like, no, I, I hear this, where is this coming from, you know? And I'm like, I know you don't want me to live this life, and I know there's nothing good of it, but I mean, I've just been involved in it for so many years, this is all I know. They're my brothers, they're my family. I mean, you're telling me to walk away from everything I've known. That's my identity, that's my self-worth, that's who I am. I'm not a man without them. I was like, it's again, he's like, no, you're gonna serve me, you're gonna serve me. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not even gonna sit and try to argue if this is you. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna need the peace about this, and I'm gonna need courage, and I'm gonna need some strength. I'm like, cause I'm not gonna be able to do this. As soon as I got them praying, I, just, I got up and I'm just like, I mean, instantaneous, it was like I had peace. I really think I could just walk away from everything I've known, basically, my life. I, I think I could walk away from this. I hit my butt, my celly's bunk, I'm like, hey, he's like, what's up? I'm like, it's over with, man, it's over with. He's just like, yeah, I, he didn't know what I was talking about, though. But I'm just like, yeah, it's over with. And I was just happy, I just had, I had a peace, like I probably never felt in my life. I was just happy and I'm just like, cool, cool, you know, this is, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna go to sleep, I'm gonna go figure it out tomorrow. As of this moment, I'm disassociating all ties. I'm no longer engaged in none of you guys' activities. I'm like, I'm a man of God. I'm Anthony now, you know? I'm like, um, I'm not Tone no more. I'm not King Tone no more, I'm Anthony. I was at that facility for exactly two months after I made a decision. Nothing happened to me. I just kept going to church even more. I kept reading my Bible even more. I, uh, I actually began to start fellowshipping with other Christian brothers there. I was Jesus Christ crazy in there. I was just representing like I was representing the kings. You know, I told people, you know, I took off my crown, I pick up a cross, and I'm following Christ, you know. I'm, oh man, that's, that's what it's about. When I got out, I, I was a man, and I knew what a man was. A man, to me, was identified in Christ. Everything changed, you know, not only am I a man physically, I'm 26 and a half years old when I was released, but I'm a man spiritually, I'm a, I'm a child of God. I mean, just where I was at was just so different. I knew that I was nothing without God.
it's a place where I felt I just love. Instantly walking in, you just feel you just feel love in a way I never felt it before. The small group was very vital for me at that moment. Um, you know, the brothers really ministered to me. I was speaking with my group leader um, when we were speaking about baptism. You know, I'm like, I need to get baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new boss, and your boss wants you to get baptized. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I put my brother and get out the way. I'm getting baptized. Well, why are you coming up here to be baptized? Because I want to let the world know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That's why. My favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So I'm just like, man, that's me. That's me all day. I'm, I'm a new creature. Yeah, I still sin. You know, this walk is not easy compared to the life I live. I'm like, but I'm new. I'm just loving it. I'm just loving it. Man. Isn't that a powerful story? Just the idea, and you see that. You see it is so much that so many people were able to relate with that because of his past, all that he had experienced, and God was able to reach out to that man who was so desperately lost and drew him to himself. Pretty powerful testimony, and it started with him sharing about his story. And it wasn't glamorizing. You notice it wasn't glamorizing the kind of the old way, the old sins. It's more pointing to look at all the stuff that used to entangle me. And that's literally what Paul's explaining. He's like, man, I, I grew, I was born in this area. I grew up in this area. I was trained by the best. You see there the, the Gamaliel was the uh, rabbi, the most uh, uh, revered rabbi of that time. So it's like saying I had an Ivy League uh, education. I was equipped in God's word, kind of dispelling the myths that they had presented against him, that I was anti-Jew and didn't, was opposing the law. Both of those, he's saying, man, that was, that was my life. That was my life. That's who I was committed to. But it says that he was zealous for God as all of you are giving them the benefit of the doubt, the idea that he was zealous, and that zealousness was on display by what? The fact that he was persecuting the way. He was literally sent by the religious leaders to arrest and to bring in any potential Christians that were out there. That was the life that he was living before God intervened, before the but God moment. And anybody that follows Jesus Christ has a but God moment, and take a look at his but God moment in verse six, it says, I was, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, remember, he's heading there to imprison believers. About noon, a great light was from heaven, from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Love this but God moment. The moment in his life where he's walking through, you hear the verse, walk through the, the shadow of the valley of death. Literally, that's how God tends to operate. When we're at our lowest point, when we're literally seemingly beyond reach, helpless and hopeless, made me think of this meme that I thought of this week when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But literally, that, that moment, sorry, I couldn't resist, that, that moment where we seem beyond reach, 
when we're helpless and hopeless, that's when God chooses, we could take that down now, chooses to, to intervene, the encounter. My wife's shaking her head at me, I know. Uh, but, uh, but this story is his encounter with Christ. It's told, it's told three different times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 here in chapter 22, again in 26, all because it's pretty awesome how God could take the greatest opponent of the gospel and make him a proponent of the gospel in one fail swoop. It says that at noon he encountered this. That shows how bright that light must have been for it to have an effect on him. I love the question they ask you, who, who, who are you? Who are you? And I imagine the response was not the response that he was hoping for. When he says, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, you're like, ugh. That realization that he had blown it drastically, right? Can you imagine that moment when, he's, when that finally clicks? Like, wait a second, that's, that's who I'm persecuting. That's who I'm opposing. And you are the Lord, the, the God of heaven, God in the flesh. And so that, that moment clicked. And I imagine this audience that's hearing that testimony, probably many of them were maybe in that same crowd 20 years prior chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Unwilling to acknowledge what was necessary is that, I was wrong. I was wrong. I missed you. I missed you as the Messiah. Here they're having an opportunity through Paul's story, through his testimony, another opportunity. That's how God works in his kindness, his pursuit of us. Another chance to say, all right, I missed it too. I can come back just like Paul did, but instead we're going to see that they dig in their heels. Pretty big gamble if you think about it. For those of us that follow Jesus Christ, if we get to the end of our lives, imagine this, if you get to the end of your life, you find out that you were wrong. Now, that's, that's a scary idea, but I don't believe that we are. But imagine what was at risk for us. We lived a life where we're trying to serve each other as best as we can, where we're trying to follow in Jesus' footsteps, treat people well with respect, take care of the poor, provide for people. What's the gamble there? Now, on the other side of the spectrum... We've talked about this in our life group. On the other side of the spectrum, the person that takes the gamble that Christ isn't the Messiah, they come to the end and they find out they were wrong. That's, that's bad news. That's, that's bad news. That represents eternity separated from God in hell based on that decision to reject the offer that Jesus Christ has made, the provision of his death as payment for our sins on the cross, that's a huge gamble. His story is pushing towards that, 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 that response that everyone comes to once they hear the gospel that they have to respond to one way or another. I love the testimony here because it shows God's sovereign involvement in our life, that he's actively involved in pursuing the lost. Paul, this wasn't based on anything of it. At least Anthony was reading the Bible. You know what I mean? Like, Paul wasn't doing anything. He's trying to kill Christians. Like, and God pursued him, made himself irresistible, and drew him to himself. Pretty awesome encounter story that God gets all the glory for. Now, his new life in Christ starts with obedience. Take a look in verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who believed there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And, the, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, 
to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth that had just happened. For you will be, be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Think about that call on Paul's life and how that's literally a call for every single one of us to share what we've seen and heard. Verse 16, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, showing he's still committed to the temple. And saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles." We'll stop there and fill in some blanks. Basically, you see after his encounter with Jesus Christ, he has this immediate obedience. He goes there and he gets the plan. He gets the game plan. And what is the game plan? I pointed it out. Be a witness for him to everyone what you have seen and heard. It's important that we grasp that because literally the game plan that God gave to Paul is literally the exact same game plan that he gives for every single believer. Every single one of us is to be a storyteller. Who doesn't like stories, right? A storyteller, someone that's telling the story of what God has done in your life. He calls them to this. He calls them to be an ambassador and going out and proclaiming what God had done drastically to draw him to himself. I don't know if you've heard this quote before by St. Francis of Assisi. says this, Preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Here's that we've heard that. I completely disagree with it. There you go. I've said it. I don't agree with St. Francis about this because the gospel actually takes opening our mouths. We're not the message. We're the messenger. That's important for us to understand here. The idea that, yes, we're to show we are Christians by what? Our love. But we tell people about Jesus' rescue plan with our mouths. We show that we're Christians with our loves, display and clearly explain his rescue plan with explanation. God is not looking for mimes to sign up. You know, anybody else get freaked out by mimes? I do. He's not looking for us to just act it out because what happens? If somebody watches your life long enough, if somebody watches my life long enough, guess what's going to happen? They're going to be disappointed. They're going to see my moment in the parking lot and be like, oh, I'm not interested in that guy. You know, like your, your moment, whatever that is. You see, when we're the message, we take all responsibility of opening our, our mouths away. And that, I think, is a scapegoat statement. So my call to us and what we see here as well is Paul's call on his life was to speak about what God had done in his life. It's the same for us. And he knew, as Jesus warns him real clearly, he's like, hey, do it even though you know that these people in Jerusalem aren't going to believe you. And you see Paul there. He's just like, what do you mean they're not going to believe me? They saw the old self. If I've changed, it's going to be evident that something caused that change. But he warns them in advance. And here's the reason why. Because God had a different plan for Paul's life than reaching the Jews. It points to it there. What does he say that he's calling him to do? He says it there. 
He says, he said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Go because I have a different plan for you in reaching out. Now, Paul realized something, and you might not realize this in a reading that at first, is by making that statement, he was biting the clip out of a hand grenade, knowing what was about to happen, and chucking it into the crowd anyway. He, when he's saying that he's called a call on his life directly from God to reach out to Gentiles with the same grace that they've been extended through Jesus Christ, whoo, that's not going to go well. That's not going to go well at all. Do you think it does? Verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he should not be allowed to live. Now, I have a pa as a pastor, I have some different expectations and hopes for responses to a message. That would not be one. My sister Kathleen is a, a chaplain, or she has been a chaplain in the past. I think I mentioned this story before. She was doing a, a funeral one time, and in the back of the room, there was an elderly woman uh, that must have not had her hearing aid turned up because she was communicating really loudly. And in the middle of the service, the woman uh, goes to one of her friends sitting next to her, is supposedly whispering. She says, when is she going to be done? She just keeps talking and talking and talking. My sister's standing up in the front doing the service, and she's like, uh, everybody can hear you. <laughs> and uh, so she uh, tried to speed up her uh, closure. But, uh, but you get the, the, the idea here. This is even worse for Paul when your audience is saying what? You don't even deserve to live. I don't even know what I would do if you all said that. Like, it was hard enough when we did that role play earlier. But you get the idea. They're basically saying, man, this guy needs to die. This guy needs to die. Now, what in the world, when you read that, you're like, what in the world would stir that kind of response? That kind of response, that kind of uh, tension between Jews and Gentiles. See, what I would, pro would pro propose and what Scripture points to is that the Jews had misunderstood God's plan for how things were supposed to work with redemption of mankind. You see, the Jews didn't understand that even from the beginning with Abraham, God was wanting to use them as a means to reach the world. Genesis 12, 2, And I will make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and will... In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, listen to this, you, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's plan from the beginning was to use them as a means to bring the Messiah into existence through their family line and then to provide the rescue plan for the rest of the world, including Jews and Gentiles. But the, unfortunately, the Jews misunderstood this. They misunderstood thinking that they had the corner on God rather than them being a path to God. Rather than them offering the path, they thought they had their own kind of corner. They had their own God thing. And they're like, man, we're not, we're not really interested in sharing that. The idea of, of introducing the, the love of Jesus and forgiveness to, to Gentiles, that was unheard of. That was a, a miserable idea. They had been in opposition with Gentiles. They're currently under Roman rule, like talk about miserable for generation after generation. 
Anybody remember Jonah, the very worst missionary of all time? You remember him trying to be sent out? He's sent out to, to reach out to the Ninevites or to Gentiles with a, a, a rescue plan and a call to, for, uh, of repentance. Remember him showing up after heading the opposite direction, getting drugged back with a fish. Finally, he walks into the town. He's just like, repent, you're all going to die. Repent. Like, worst possible missionary ever. But here it shows what was how deeply rooted the tension was between those two worlds. How deeply rooted it was that they weren't interested in sharing what they had with others. Now, here's when we bring it and make it more personal. How easily we can condemn them and not own our own issue with this, where we're not interested in sharing what we have with those around us. We interact day in and day out with people that are desperately lost, have a disease, and we've got the cure, but nope. I'm just going to keep that to myself because I wouldn't want to look weird or, or come across as fanatical or strange. I, I don't want to take any gambles there. And so how can we judge when we're reading this text the Jewish folks that were confused then with us present day that are unwilling to follow our call to share our stories, to be storytellers? Be story, to tell stories of God's grace and his, his, his amazing pursuit of us in our lives. You see, both of us could learn from this as we're being stretched and growing in this. And here's what I'm realizing just as we wrap up, is it's dependent on two things. First off, this is the practical side of storytelling. You have to be able to think through your own story and be able to communicate it. Some people are like, I don't really know how to tell my story. Here's a novel idea. Take a half an hour and write it out. Look at those three parts we looked at this morning. How did, how did Paul do it? He said, what was life like before Christ? What was my encounter or season of encounter with Christ look like? What is, what is life on the other side of that look like? My, my new life in Christ. What, is that, what does that look like? What if you actually took the time to pen that out? Actually jot that down. Get familiar with your own story, your own testimony. And then the second piece, and we'll leave you with this, is the idea of where I started this message, that it has to, if we're going to have any interest in sharing with others when we're being squeezed, which life does to it, it has to start from our own relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're not connected with the vine, when somebody comes across our path that desperately needs Jesus, we're going to be just kind of indifferent because we're operating in the flesh. But when we are connected to the vine, man, it's just a, a natural overflow. When you watched Anthony sharing that, that testimony, did that, did that seem like people were like poking him under the table? Come on, talk, kid, talk. Like, no, no. Like, he's passionate about that because why? Because what God's done in his life, he can't help but share it. I was dead, and now I'm alive. We all have that same story, that same testimony. You're like, oh, mine's kind of boring. You're like, no, you were dead, now you're alive. That's a pretty cool story. It's worth telling. So here, the, the challenge for us is looking for opportunities to be storytellers because we care about those who we're surrounded with. We're looking to build bridges, not make defenses for ourselves. Let me wrap up in prayer. God, I thank you for this section of Scripture and the challenge that it gives us to move towards being grace-oriented, being storytellers, God. I pray that you'd grow us and stretch us in this. We recognize, I recognize, that it's not something that comes natural if we're operating in the flesh, but when we are connected to the vine, God, 
It happens out of the overflow of what you're doing in us. God, we all cry out for that. We ask for that. We desire that kind of intimacy that ripples into our thought process, into our interactions. God, we're dependent on your spirit for even that. We weren't just dependent on your spirit for our rescue. We're dependent on it for our outreach as well, God. So we plead for that together. We praise you for your patience and kindness to us in all of this. We love you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, what a perfect ending to that message because he is the cornerstone and we're just asked to talk about that reality in our life. Let's look for opportunities even going into the week ahead. If you want to be prayed for, we have a couple volunteers here following the service. We'd be thrilled to do that with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.